secret place I seek to meet with you, God, face to face, where distractions disappear and I hear your voice so clear, I can feel your presence linger in the air. As I lift my hands and enter in, my busy heart can start to rest, to beat in time again. For in this holy place where, Father, you and I embrace, your glory shines, refines, transforms my mind until I am not the same. For in your presence, I am always changed. With my arms lifted high in awe and wonder, I bow before your throne. Peace beyond all I've known as I rest here with you, my God alone. I'm lost for words. The ruler of the universe, the one who brings all things to pass, will converse with me as if I am the only one you see. And as I step outside this secret place, something follows a holy trace that emanates from deep within. A light that shines from where I've been that others might even catch a glimpse. Like the wonder of a shining star, see in my eyes a hint of who you are. Guys, thanks very much for that kind response and um, a special welcome to those of you watching as part of our online service. Well, what an incredible 21 days we've had and as Simon has said, this does today mark the end of our four-week series on Encounter. It also marks the end of our 21 days of fasting. I was expecting some of you to be slightly more excited about that. If you're anything like me, I'm looking forward to dinner. Um, so although in some ways this is the end, in many ways I'm hoping it's actually just the beginning. That this season of us encountering the Lord, it isn't going to end. My prayer is it's going to continue, that it's going to continue to increase. We will know more and more of the glory of God amongst us. And so that's what I want to be sharing on today. What does it mean for us to experience the glory of God? The word glory isn't one we hear loads outside of church, but it does get thrown around in sport, particularly in football. So my confession to you this morning, before we get anywhere else, is that in the 90s, living in London, naturally, I supported Manchester United. For no other reason that they were winning everything. Sadly, as we frequently hear about, times have changed. But this resulted on many occasions on the playground picking up a nickname. I was labelled a glory hunter. Completely forgotten about it until a few years ago. I was leading worship on a Kingsgate Young Adults retreat. The guest speaker brought me this beautiful prophetic encouragement and he just said to me, God loves that you're a glory hunter. So that's the heart of what I wanna share today. Not what does it mean for me to be a glory hunter, but what does it mean for us? 
What would it look like for Kingsgate to be a church filled with people hunting after his glory? And so to answer that question, the first thing we've got to ask is, well, what is the glory of God? We use the word glory quite a lot in church. We sing it. We sing glory and praise, power and strength, or we, we sing blessing and honour, glory and power. These are wonderful things for us to sing. They're actually part of the song of heaven. We pray at the end of the Lord's Prayer, yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. And so this is like the honour that God receives when we worship him. But the glory of God is something slightly different. And it's not an easy concept to explain, but I've been trying to think of it like this the last couple of weeks. You know, we need to make sure in our worship, in our whole lives, that God always gets the glory. Amen? But also be aware that sometimes he sends his glory. And the word for the glory in this context, in the Bible, the Hebrew word is the same as the word for weight. Jack Hayford wrote, when the glory of God is in a place, something forceful, weighty, mighty is present in the spiritual realm. People can recognize it. They will want to be there. So when we're talking about the presence of God, we need to kind of imagine it maybe in levels. You know, God is omnipresent, so he's everywhere. And when we become Christians, he comes to live on the inside of us by the power of his Holy Spirit. So we're never alone. We can't be separated from his presence, but we also know there are times when we know his nearness, something of his manifest presence. And we, we experience that here when we gather week in, week out. But there's also a greater measure. And this is something, James mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. This measure of the Lord's presence, it's so great that I wouldn't be able to stand. You wouldn't be sitting comfortably. We would be on our faces before the Lord. As Matt Redman wrote in his book, Face Down, when we face up to the glory of God, we will fall face down in worship. And so that's the measure of God's presence I want us to focus in on today. It's my heart that the end of this 21 days, we are gonna pour fuel on the fire, that this will have ignited a passion and hunger for the glory of God that leaves us totally unsatisfied with anything less. The measure of God's presence it is something we can experience personally in our own times with him, but there's something unique and I'm passionate about this and it's, there's something glorious about the glory of God in the midst of his people when we gather as a church. So when I say, what does it mean for us to be glory hunters? It's about increasing our hunger for the glory of God, our pursuit of him, both personally and collectively, that might cause us to say, for all the world could bring, I count it all as loss for the joy of knowing you. Our final text in this series is found in 2 Chronicles 5, and it's the account of the dedication of Solomon's temple. And I'm going to begin by reading like our end goal. 
It says this, Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. So that's where we want to get to. The glory filling the temple. But before we reach that amazing moment, we are going to rewind the story, pick out a few key moments in the run-up. And the first is this, that glory hunters get involved. Before Solomon's temple could be filled with the glory of God, I know this sounds basic, it had to be built, okay? The first verse of chapter five says, when all the work Solomon had done for the temple was finished. So I asked the question, well, what work? Clearly quite a lot of work. If we rewind chapters two to four of two Chronicles, they give us extensive plans and details about the building of the temple. And I find it fascinating. You get a sense of how much preparation And work went into it. The materials, the skilled craftsmen, the financial cost, no expense spared in building this magnificent place for the glory of God to dwell. Here today, we know that Paul's writings in the New Testament, they they teach us that God's temple is no longer a building, but in fact, we are his living stones. We are our God's temple. His temple is made of us, the people of God coming together to be a place where the glory of God can come. But the same things can apply. If we want to create a place where God can dwell, it requires us all to play our part for us to get involved. I want you to imagine that building project or maybe a modern day building project, maybe you've had some building work done in your own house or something. And I want you to imagine like halfway through a big project, suddenly some of the team involved, they just stop showing up. You might have like the windows guys arriving on site. They're ready to fit the windows and they're like, yeah, but the walls aren't built. Or the roofers arrive and there's no roofing structure in place. Can you agree with me that that would be a bit of a mess, a bit of a disaster? Everything would start to snag. You'd have this unfinished, late running, probably over budget mess. But isn't it the same for us as God's church? We are all called to be involved in creating a place where God's glory can come. And it does require all of us to get involved, to give of ourselves, to serve, to invest our time and our money, to be serving with glad hearts, to be a generous people. And not just because there are rotors that need fulfilling or not just bringing our tithes because there are bills to pay. But no, we've got to catch it's deeper than that. If we're to stay the course on this stuff, We've got to understand and we've got to get revelation that it's for his glory. It's not for us. Can I say primarily, it's not actually even for the people who haven't yet come, although that's important. Firstly, it's because 
of the Lord for his glory. Glory hunters get involved. And what followed the completion of this amazing building project are some of the most incredible moments. They are some of my favourite moments in all of Scripture. And I believe there are things we can continue to learn from this passage in 2 Chronicles that would help us position ourselves for such a move of God. And the next thing is this, that glory hunters are set apart. Verse 11 of chapter 5 says, All the priests who were there had consecrated themselves. Purity and holiness matters to the Lord. We've had some powerful times of consecration through these 21 days. And can I say to us today, we've, we've got to all be included in those times. We must continue to be set apart, marked by holiness, living in the goodness and grace of everything that Jesus has done for us. Early this year, uh, we spent a few months in the Sermon on the Mount. And um, the very first week, I got a bit stuck in, in a good way on a couple of the Beatitudes. I'm going to read a couple out. Verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I spent time meditating on these verses, thinking about the fact that I want to be filled with fresh measures of God's presence. I want to see Him. I want to have fresh revelation of who God is. And so I have to think about, well, what does it mean to live righteously, to hunger and thirst for righteousness? What does it mean to have a pure heart? During these 21 days, I've heard many stories of people saying, God has been doing a deep work. So on the final day, I want to say to you, spend some time reflecting. Write down in your journal or share with a friend or this week, share in your life group. What has God been saying to you in this whole area during this 21 days? What's he saying to you right now? Are there things you need to stop doing any unhealthy habits that need to break, that you need freedom from? Or on the flip side, are there some things that you need to do? Do you need to be obedient to what the Lord is asking you to do? Either way, I want to say to us, let's keep coming before the Lord, praying the prayer of Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Or Psalm 51. Create in me a pure heart, O oh God, because if we're going to experience greater measures of God's glory, we must be a people who have clean hands and a pure heart because glory hunters are set apart. Next up, glory hunters are united. At the end of that same verse, all the priests who were there had consecrated themselves regardless of their divisions. We can apply this in a couple of ways. We can think of uh, the tribes of Israel or like divisions of an army, separate groups of people, not necessarily at odds with one another, different backgrounds, different roles to play. Like here today, we are a beautiful gathering of different ethnicities, different ages, different backgrounds. We come together as one. 
knowing that no one, is ne- no one is less welcomed, no one is more or less qualified, no one is more or less loved. We are one people. We come together as people with different gifts and roles to play. Here today, I just want to celebrate that we have many teams serving as one, fulfilling different roles, but with one goal, to help provide a place for us to encounter the Lord. But maybe more challenging is that we also know that division can be described as a people divided by conflict or disunity. And we know that this is counter to the heart of God. Jesus longed for, he longs for, he prayed for, he prays for, he's still interceding for unity in his church. And these verses here in 2 Chronicles mention here and again in verse 13 that there was unity. They joined in unison. They understood that their oneness mattered before God. It unlocked something. So what does this look like for us? Practically. Well, don't let things fester. Instead, let's be quick to forgive. If you've fallen out with somebody, I want to say, in love, which is like, you know, I'm about to say something challenging. (laughs) Quit waiting for them to apologise. You take the first step. Humble yourselves. Because where brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, there the Lord commands a blessing. And this doesn't happen by accident. We have to be proactive in keeping the unity of the Spirit so that we can be one people united under Christ, joined together, rising up to become a holy temple, a dwelling in which the glory of God can come. Glory hunters are united. And glory hunters are worshippers. It says that the trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals and other instruments, the singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good. His love endures forever. They've built the temple. They've got their hearts right before God. Everybody's in the right place. They begin to worship. This is a wonderful picture of God's desire for music to play its part in facilitating worship amongst his people. And I want to say to us today that our musical worship, it's not just a reflection of culture. It's not even just something handed down in church tradition. It's biblical. The people of God have always been a singing people. Throughout Scripture, we read of the people of God singing to the Lord as a means of thanksgiving, as a means of celebration, warfare, consecration in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Us coming together to sing to the Lord, it was His idea. And we see that there are skilled musicians who help facilitate this. 
they joined in unison and were joined by singers who raised their voices in praise to the Lord. So when we come together, let's raise our voices. Our worship here, it's not about spectating a team on this platform. It's not even primarily about us receiving from the Lord. First and foremost, it's about us bringing our offerings to the Lord. And the declaration of our mouths out loud is powerful. There is something powerful about the confession on our lips. So let's not hold back. Let's learn from King David. Be passionate in our praise. Raising our voices, using our bodies to welcome the glory of God because glory hunters are worshippers. And it was in the midst of their worship that the glory came. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. The priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. The glory here is described as a cloud. This would have been familiar to the people of God. They'd followed the cloud of the presence of God in the wilderness. But as we've read in our devotions this week, we want to be less worried about the visible manifestation of God's glory and be more tuned in and sensitive to what's happening in us when we're in his presence. Because it's my experience that these moments in the midst of his glory, they transform us. We find freedom. We find purpose. We experience the love of God in a deeper way. We know who we are. We know whose we are. We know what we were created for because the glory of God fuels our passions in a way that nothing or no one else can. So today, we want to make space to invite the glory of God to come. But before we do, there's one more thing. Because when we fast forward to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, we see that the glory comes again. And this is not some kind of biblical copy and paste error. It reads that when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. The first time the glory comes, the priests couldn't perform their duties. Reads to me like they were still inside the temple, but they stopped. They were so in awe of the glory of God that they just stopped what they were doing. Second time, I want you to notice this. It reads to me like they couldn't even get in the temple. The glory of God was greater the second time than it was the first time. So at the end of this 21 days, as, as we begin to come into land, this is not job done. Whatever measure of God we've known during this 21 days, there is more. The personal encounters, the moments in the presence of God we've experienced together, there's more. We're not here to be a one experience of His glory kind of people, but instead defined by our desire to keep on experiencing the glory of God, radiant with the glory of God, marked by His presence. <clears throat> Wonderfully summed up in 2 Corinthians 3, which says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate 
In other translations, it used the words reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Contemplating and reflecting the glory of God is not intended as a one-off, but something we continue to know as ever-increasing, present continuous. We have to keep on experiencing it. And as we are, we are transformed ever-increasingly into His likeness. So one more time, quickly, we're gonna go back to 2 Chronicles. We've seen the glory of God come in chapter five. We've seen it come in a greater measure in chapter seven. And then there's an overflow When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord. We're no longer talking about just the priests. Now, it says all the Israelites, they're not in the temple The impact of God's glory is increasing. This manifestation of the glory of God was so great that people were brought to a place of awestruck worship on the streets. So what would it look like if we saw that? That's my heart. Moments when all people, not just the church, not just people on staff at Kingsgate, but all people saw His glory were so suddenly aware of their need of God and their need for salvation that they knelt to the ground in worship. I believe that's God's heart. That yes, His glory would be manifest in His church because it's His heart and desire to meet with His people. And that's what the heartbeat of this series has been about. But His glory must also make an impact beyond the walls of the church. There's a call for each one of us, like Moses was, to be radiant with his glory, carriers of his glory, for his glory in us and through us to bring healing to our nation, for it to cause, yeah, firstly, a revival in our own hearts, but the overflow is that there's an awakening of many souls to the glory of God. I was recently rereading a journal I'd written in on a prayer day a few years back. And I'd spent some of that day reflecting on dreams God has placed in my heart. I was struck by something I wrote. I wrote this, I long to see and know the glory of God like we haven't seen for a generation. And I don't want to diminish in any way, the amazing things the Lord has been doing and is doing. But there's a hunger in my spirit that we will again see a move of God, a manifestation of His glory that at the moment we're just used to reading about in church history. It's my heart. The hunger in my spirit is that we'd see it in these days, that we could see this city, this region, this nation, and the nations changed. And that reminded me of another journal entry, not in mine, but in John Wesley's, 
referring to a prayer meeting that happened on the 1st of January, 1739. About three in the morning, as we were continuing instant in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us insomuch that many cried out for exceeding joy and many fell to the ground. As soon as we recovered a little from the awe and amazement at the presence of His Majesty, we broke out with one voice. We praise Thee, O Lord. We acknowledge Thee to be Lord. Around 60 people gathered for that prayer meeting. They had an encounter with the glory of God. They began to worship. And then what followed was one of the greatest revivals we've ever known. So wherever we are, we're going to respond together. I'd love to invite you to stand. If the band could come back on. And we want to begin to worship. We want to ask the Lord to send His glory. Because if we want to pray for an overflow, the first thing is that we need to be filled. The fullness of His presence filling us. So I want us to begin to pray. I'd encourage you, just, just start praying out. Call on the name of the Lord. Begin to cry out to Him. Let your passion and your hunger overflow from your mouth as we respond together as one. Lord, we are calling on Your Name. We are asking You to send Your glory in this place. Let Your glory fall. We have fasted, we've prayed, we've sought Your face and we wanna be a people involved, set apart, united as one, honouring Your Name, lifting up Your Name, who will not settle for anything less than Your glory filling us, Your glory surrounding us, Your glory flowing out from this place. Pour it out, Lord. Let Your glory fill this house. Let Your glory fill this house. Maybe just open your hands. It's a posture to receive. expectation the fullness of his presence poured out on sons and daughters Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit come send your glory <laughs> 